these words again from James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says He yearns jealously over the Spirit He has made to dwell in us? But He gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Within these words, we're able once again to experience the personality of this special chosen writer of Scripture. I've come to an understanding that as God formed us, it says that we're woven with His own hands, He wove us together. That He wove together personalities. And He wove together James's personality in a particular way. So that James would write these words in such a way that they would impact us the way they do. And I can in my imagination hear the Apostle James here passionately preaching and crying out to those who will listen saying, My dear friends in the Lord, you are not taking the teachings of our Lord seriously. Not seriously enough, at least. You're saved, but you're still behaving in the same way that you behave before you were saved. You do not take that which you have learned on Sunday, as we might say it today, and then let it work out in the other days of your life, in your work, in your families, in your church. Folks, in Christ, you and I are whole new creatures, brand new. And you and I need to leave those old ways behind and get on about the new. And that's what James is saying here to these congregations that he's writing to because he's writing to the church. He's saying it to them then. He's saying it to you and me now. And I love the way that the Holy Spirit brings these Scriptures to us with such simplicity because too often our rationale will get ahead of the simple truth and cause us to miss out on some of God's intended meaning. But here in these words... The first words of this chapter of the Holy Spirit is blunt and to the point. 
He declares to these brethren then and then consequently to you and me now that wrong desires and passions are brewing, fomenting within our souls all of the time. It's what takes place. And those wrong desires and passions then manifest themselves on out into other people's lives. In this case here, the church. Causing conflict and discord and division. Verse 1, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? God uses every word intentionally, and He used the word war here intentionally. The problem is, what is taking place within us is not just a battle. It's a war. It really is a war. And war has many battles. And a war is intense and it's destructive and it's long and it's drawn out. And if a war within just one individual's soul is allowed to fester and foment, it will eventually spill over. And it will spill over into the hearts and the minds of others that that person is spending time with whether it be family members, but especially within the church, and it'll bring conflict. It'll bring discord, destroying the unity that's so vital to the body of believers. It cannot be allowed to continue. It does not bless that person to be a bitter person, and it does not bless those around that listen and begin to commiserate with the one who's complaining. And this lack of oneness strikes at the very heart of the Lord Jesus Himself, personally. We can read about that in John chapter 17. I'll read some of that to you in a moment. There He talks about unity and oneness within a body of believers and how essential it is. Else that body will be crippled and ineffective, unable to bear fruit. Let me read you some of Jesus' last words to His disciples in John 17. This was in the high priestly prayer to God the Father. Jesus prayed, I do not ask for these only, speaking of the twelve, but also for those who will believe in Me through their words. That's all believers. That's you and Me. Listen to how He talks about unity here. That they may be one, just as You, Father, are in Me and I in You, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Now may I say it again, oneness, unity within the body of Christ is of utmost importance to God. As Jesus was saying here in these words, this oneness is an essential necessity in His relationship with God the Father. And that it is an essential within the relationship between us believers. And take careful note also of the serious consequences that can and will take place without unity. In verse 2, God uses words that would seem to better address street-level unbelievers. God was warning of coveting and fighting and quarreling and even murder. Now here in our church, we can't imagine such behaviors as these. But as James is warning us about here, 
such things certainly can take place. Even among people who really are saved and really want to be good Christians, the simple truth is none of us are exempt from these extreme and sinful behaviors. And this that he's warning about is just one more warning that God is giving so often within these Scriptures. He's saying to us, yes, yes, you are new creatures in this new birth. And though that be absolutely true, we still somehow are able to bring in those old habits and those old behaviors into our new life in Christ. That seems like it should be impossible. But all we have to do is look at the free will of men. And we see it. We see those same old habits being brought into this new creation. And it should not be. And that's what he's saying here. So thanks be to God, He has answers for us. He has given us His Holy Spirit to help us with what He calls here the war that continually taking place within us. With this intimate presence of the Holy Spirit and His power working within us, we really are able to do as verses 7 and 8 instruct us. We can and we must draw near to God and resist the devil. Now, let me mention, we could not in our unsaved condition draw near to God. We didn't even know that we needed to draw near to God. But now that we have the Holy Spirit living within us, we know that we need to draw near to Him and and we can. He enables us and He actually helps us because no one comes to me, Jesus said, except my Father, draw them. So we are being drawn near to God. But we need to, as it were, move our feet. We need to do our part. And we need to resist the devil and to resist the sin that the devil brings with him. And the Holy Spirit's power is in us and at work within us all of the time. If we will just somehow not suppress His presence. He emboldens us with His presence to to do what He says in Philippians 2, work out your salvation. Take these steps, these next steps in front of you. You're saved, but you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. That is hard, and that is the hardest part of our Christian experience. When we think of our salvation, we often think of it being hard, difficult. Our salvation, folks, was not hard, not difficult. It was the easiest part by far. Jesus did all of the hard work for us. All we had to do was yield, was to surrender to Him. But the moment after that surrender, the hard part really did start. You and I have to then put our hand to the plow and not look back. What happens if we do look back? We start to covet and quarrel and do all those things that James speaks about here. God wants us to work out this salvation that Jesus has worked into us. And that means doing battle with these desires and these passions that He speaks about here that that flood our souls daily, moment by moment, and lead us astray. Now thankfully, in this war that does rage within us, our battles to resist the devil 
are in the spiritual realm. They're in the spiritual realm. And we are able to use spiritual weapons to fight those battles. We try to think in our minds, how can we resist the devil? Let me suggest to you, instead of this resisting, manifesting itself in us just trying each day to be better Christians, which is usually our first answer, or trying not to argue and trying not to quarrel and trying not to gossip and slander, God has said, instead of all that trying not to, let me suggest to instead add godly attributes to you. A whole other kind of warfare. In 2 Peter 1, we studied about these in recent months. He says, add to your faith, this this elemental faith that has brought you to salvation, now begin to add to it virtue and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. Now those are spirit-filled attributes of God. So instead of us just trying to be good, trying not to do those things that we do wrong, like quarreling and coveting, instead add to ourselves, add to our faith, these attributes of God. Those are spirit-filled weapons that the Holy Spirit then can use to help us and cause us to do things that we'd never done before. That is the highest and best expression of what we call free will. Our free will empowered by the Holy Spirit working to do God's will using His weapons of war. That's the only battle plan that can win the war that He speaks about here of desires and passions. Verse 2 again, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly and spend it on your passions. That's a war taking place. Think with me for a moment. Until that special life-changing moment in time when God called us personally to Himself in salvation... All that you and I knew was this manner of behavior that he's talking about here. This coveting and quarreling and fighting. and That's all we knew. That was who we were. We weren't just affected by it. We were part of it. We were one of its children. It flowed through our veins. That's who we were. But then in that one indescribable moment of regeneration... You and I were really changed. When we were born again, everything really did become new. Became different within us. All those behaviors that keep cropping up, they were once a legitimate part of our nature. But then, all that changed when we were born again. The things that we used to do, they weren't natural to us anymore. And we started turning from them. And the Holy Spirit was at work and He enabled us to do that. And He is and He promises to always be faithful to do exactly that today and tomorrow and all the days ahead of us. That He'll warn us of those temptations and He'll provide us a way of escape. But then again, with that being true, the question that's being brought up here from verses 1 and 2, 
Why is it that it keeps on taking place? Why do these passions still heat up, coveting, fighting, quarreling? It's because in our salvation, God has not yet done away with sin. And sin is able then to wage its war within us. Sin is that desire that starts in the back of our mind. Talk about here in chapter 1, verse 14. It begins there in the back of our mind and he gives us his analogy of the birth of a child. He says, when that desire begins to conceive, it gives birth. Then it gets out of control and gives birth to sin, sin then death. And so this unspoken warning is clear to us. He says, what you need to do is take hold of it immediately. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, he says, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Simple desires are powerful. And sin seems to have a mind of its own. And if we do not resist it, it will conceive. It will conceive. And it will become full-blown within us. And as he tells us here, sin has this affinity to other sins and it always loves company. And so it will, as we're trying our best foolishly to, to keep from doing one sin, another one is bred within us, coveting and fighting and quarreling and on. And he calls us adulterous people. I want us to think about that for a moment before we close. He calls us adulterous people. Why does he call us adulterous people? It's because of what we sang about in that first hymn. We have been bought with a price. And when we were bought with a price, Jesus' blood, we were then betrothed to Jesus as his bride. And we are no longer allowed to seek after the company and the favors of other lovers of our soul. We just cannot do the things that we used to do and have the friendships that we used to have. That makes God jealous. And He tells us so. Verse 4, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says, listen, he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Folks, listen, we need to take careful note of that ending verse there, verse 5. As believers, you and I are not our own. We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Ours is a relationship with the Holy Spirit that makes us one with Him. And when we involve ourselves in corrupt and vulgar and sinful behavior like quarreling and arguing and and coveting, we require Him to go through it with us. And that makes God jealous because we are participating in sin and we are taking the presence of the Holy Spirit right through it with us. And that makes God jealous. And we don't want to make God jealous. We keep pleading and saying, well, I try so hard, but I just keep stumbling. Well, as we close here, this is His answer. He says what you have to do is the same thing you did to get saved. You have to be submissive and humble yourselves. That's all that it takes. And that's not really that hard. 
That's not really that hard. We think it is, and we make it out to be, but it's not. If we'll just simply stop and say, it's obvious that I cannot fix this thing myself. I'm not able to fight this battle on my own. I'm not able to solve these problems. I need help. That's the submissiveness. That's the humility that He wants us to have. Defeating sin is impossible for us. But it is a wholly doable thing for God. And so He asks us, as we would add these godly characteristics to who we are. The very first one, virtue. Virtue says that we have to step on forward. Virtue, by the way, is this spirit-empowered, courageous commitment to being excellent in character. That's what the word virtue means. And, And it requires valor. The word valor is in there. It requires valor and fearless effort. And God's promise to us is that if we will step forward in virtue, that He will enable all of the next steps to take place. And especially for us to begin to be submissive and and humble in each of these difficult uh, trials of of passions and, and all that seem to want to get control of us. So then what shall we conclude? It's this that desires and passions of the wrong kind will forever, they will forever find their way into our souls. And they'll cause us to be tempted towards sinful behavior. Sinful behavior that if left unattended will surely spread from us to anyone around us, especially those that care about us. And yes, the devil is behind it all. But that's what the devil does. The devil does that. That's what, He will always do those things. But you and I do not need to give in to those desires and those passions any longer. We really can join with the Holy Spirit and humble ourselves before the Lord. And He'll bring peace to our troubled souls and into our families and all those that are malaffected by our behavior. And so He says to us, verse 6, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Let's pray.